Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Did you ever have one of those experiences where something happened and it so impressed you, you remembered it years later? I'm sure you have. All of us have had those experiences. Well, I remember one that made an indelible impression on me that I've never forgotten. It was right after I had become a Christian and I was very involved in talking to people about the Lord. And on one occasion, I had talked to several people uh, all in one day. And it was after I talked to them, I was walking back to my car when it hit me. They all had the same basic response. And the response was that they thought that in order to go to heaven, what you had to do was live right or do good works or some form of that. And that was the first time that had occurred to me. But it has been confirmed over and over and over and over again. As many of you know, I spent better than 12 years traveling as an evangelist and a Bible conference speaker. And during those years, I, I crisscrossed the United States. The last time I counted, I'd preached in, I think, over 40 states. I've preached from Alaska to Florida and from Connecticut to California and a lot of places in between. And I've talked to a lot of people in all those states. And lo and behold, the most common response I get to what it takes to go to heaven is, well, you have to do good works or live a righteous life or you have to do something of that sort. That has been my experience for decades. Matter of fact, I was talking to another pastor this week and he said, I don't know where he got this, something about uh, talk, there was a survey son or something where they were talking to atheists and they said, if there's a heaven, what do you think it would take to get there? And they all said, you got to live a good life and you got to do good works. Now, what does the scripture say about that? Well, I don't think I have to tell you. I'm sure most people listening to me know the answer to that. But I want to discuss it as one of the challenges to Christianity because it is so common. This is not of the intellectual variety where people uh, come up with an intellectual objection to Christianity. It is a simple practical problem that if you talk to people about the Lord, you are going to encounter this. So I know that you know the answer, right? Right. Now, let me hand you my Bible and you show me where it says that in the Bible. Can you do that? Remember a fellow telling me once, I know the Bible, I just don't know all the addresses of the verses. <laughs> so what I want to do is go through this, but you're gonna, I'm going to repeat a lot of things I've said before and things you already know. I know that, but I want you to remember a verse or two. 
I want you to nail down a couple of verses. As a matter of fact, on occasion, I've suggested people go to the blank page in the back of their Bible and write some of these things down so that uh, you will have a ready reference. In this case, I'll give you a verse or two that maybe you should uh, write down somewhere, maybe tattoo it on the inside of your brain so that in your mind's eye you see the reference because you're going to need this if you talk to people about the Lord. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to start by talking about the standard. What is the standard for getting to heaven? Well, let me begin by saying that if you talk to religious people, they are going to say things like whatever their religion dictates. I imagine that if you talk to a Jewish person, they might say keeping the Ten Commandments. Or some forms of Christians may say keeping the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you're talking to someone who is Muslim, they might talk about the five pillars of Islam. But so religious people are going to probably give you their religion. I don't know how many times I've had that happen. I've actually had them tell me, I am, and they fill in the blank of the religious group they belong to, as if that's going to give them credit when they stand before God. But my point is, that's their standard for what it takes. And that's what I want us to grapple with. The other thing I've had people do is say uh, they will use somebody else and they will say, well, I'm not as bad as. You ever had them do that? Now, let, just think about that for a moment. Who, who's the other person you're going to compare yourself to? Uh, Albert Schweitzer, Mother Teresa, Jack the Ripper, or the Boston Strangler? Now, I, that doesn't, I mean, I'm not being facetious because I've had people say to me, quote, I never killed anybody. As if they're better than Jack the Ripper or the Boston Strangler and therefore they got a crack at heaven. But that's what they do. That's their standard. Now, my question is, how do you know whose standard is the right standard? Is it Mother Teresa? How do you know? Could you get by with a little less standard than Mother Teresa? But the standard they come up with is somebody else. They're better than. Uh, or they will say, oh, this is a good one. I've had them say that. I'm not as bad as I used to be. <laughs> You're all shaking your head. You've heard people say that? Yeah. Did you say that before you became a Christian? <clears throat> well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I want you to imagine that um, there is a ladder and the people at the top of this ladder are very good and the people at the bottom of the ladder are very bad. So everybody I talk to is someplace on that ladder and when I ask them where the standard is, they put the standard just below where they are. You know what happens? So the question is, what is the standard? Well, the question is, what does God say the standard is? 
Now I'm going to have you turn to a couple of verses. These are not the verses I want you to write down. I'll get to those in a minute. But I want you to turn in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. I know the standard verses that are used and we're going to get to them. But I want to show you, this is throughout the scripture, what the standard is. So look at Leviticus chapter 11 and look at verse 44. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourself and you shall be holy. Now look at the next statement. For I am holy. Now here's the standard. God. He said what I require is that you be holy because I am holy. And it's that because I am holy part that I want you to focus on. Now if that isn't bad enough, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and look at verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I know there are ways to explain this verse, but the point I want to make is, you should be perfect, why? Because God says, I am perfect. And the point I want to make is, he is the standard. Now, I'm going to quote the verse that you would normally have thought of. This one you know. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's the standard? God. I know it says glory of God, but the point is God. One more on this frame. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Give your little uh, fingers some exercise this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 15, uh, 16. I'll start at verse 15. For he has called you is holy. You also will be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. And there it is again. He is saying the standard is God. Moses says that. Jesus says that. Paul says that. Peter says that. You get the impression after a while the standard is God. All right. First thing I want to talk about is the standard. The second thing I want to talk about is this current situation and that means where are we and the answer is we have fallen short in every case we have fallen short now that's hard for some people to swallow I mean they are so convinced that they have to do something to get to heaven. When you tell them the standard is God and they, can, and they fall short of the standard, it's hard for some of them to take. I've actually had them object and say, well, you mean to tell me you shouldn't live a good life? No, that's not the point. The point is that does not qualify you for getting to heaven. 
I highly recommend that you live a good life. I can't emphasize that enough. Here's what it will do for you. It will keep you out of trouble and out of jail. So I highly recommend that you live a good life. The problem is, are you going to hand that good life to God and say, hey, this is, give me credit for this? And the answer is, it isn't going to work. I think there are other arguments I could make for uh, living a good life. I, you'd be of a benefit to other people. You'll make a contribution to society. Uh, we heard of a shooting yesterday, and the word went out that we were short on blood, and people lined up down the street, around the corner, in 100-degree heat to donate blood. Now, that's good. That's very good. It's just that, well, as I will explain later, that doesn't take care of the sin problem. The point is that no matter how good you are, God is the standard. Are you saying you're as good as God? Well, I haven't met anybody that would say that. No. Well, that means we've all fallen short. Now, some people are good. Some people are better than others. But all fall short. Let me illustrate. Let's all gather at the beach. Santa Monica all gather at the beach. I mean a whole bunch of people. Put a stadium full of people there. And we're going to swim to Hawaii. <laughs> now I can imagine an Olympic long-distance swimmer making it further than me. So he's better than I am. But he's still going to fall short. And that's the problem. We all fall short. So, if that's the case, uh, what's the situation like? Is it hopeless? If there's nothing I can do, I all, we all fall short, then what? Well, the answer to that is, God paid for our sin. This is, this is something we should never get over. We just observe the Lord's table. He paid for our sin. Now let me explain this. This is super simple to people who know anything at all about the Bible, but it's super critical and important. We've just admitted we've all fallen short, right? Yes. The Bible has a word for that. The word is sin. Not very politically correct to talk about that these days, but it's a very solid biblical word. The Greek word sin means to fall short. And as I just explained, we've all fallen short. Our sin falls short of God's standard. All right? Here's the issue. What is the penalty? What are the consequences? Of sin. Well, there's a bunch of them. But spiritually, the consequence is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. death. Now, what is death? 
By the way, that word is used all kinds of ways in the Bible. That's a fascinating little study. There's a physical death, there's spiritual death. Uh, there's all kinds of other death, too. It's used in a number of different ways. But in all of the cases, it means separation. If I died right now, my body would slump to the floor, but I would go somewhere else. So death is the separation of the body and the soul. Right? Now, uh, the place of separation is eternal separation from God. Now, the issue in this subject is Jesus died for our sin to pay for our sin. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says Christ died for our sins. Interesting. He died not just for us to demonstrate he loved us, that's true. But he died for our sins. His death paid for my sin. The penalty has to be paid. Now, do you talk to people about the Lord? Do you do that? If you do, this subject's going to come up. And I have an illustration. And I sat down and, and looked at this material that I was going to speak on this morning. And I thought... I've, I've used that illustration so much, if I use it again, they're going to fire me. Um, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. Maybe if I use it again, they'll remember it. <laughs> Repetition is one of the laws of learning, right, teacher? Yeah. Right. All right. Then he, when you talk to somebody who thinks good works is what it takes to get to heaven, here's the illustration. I'll give you some verses in a minute, but here's the illustration. What good works doesn't do is pay the penalty. And you've got you to establish that the penalty is good works don't pay the penalty. Here's the illustration. You've heard me use it before. I know. Remember it. I ran a stop sign. And I, would, I think I did this on Wednesday night Bible study recently. Somebody, and I said, well, it was Sunday morning or somebody, and I said, what does it cost? And somebody said $150. Were you here that morning? Was it $150? All right. So I, I ran a stop sign, and I'm standing before the judge, and the judge finds me. Well, I don't know. I haven't run a stop sign lately. And um, uh, I do California stops. You know, you roll up and <clears throat> keep rolling. I just hadn't been caught. All right. So I'm standing before the judge, and the judge says, fine, $150. And I say, Your Honor, I've been driving a long time. I have stopped at hundreds and thousands of stop signs. I've stopped at stop signs in every state of the union. With the possible exception of Hawaii, I don't think I do. I have a car when I drive. I don't remember. Anyway, I've stopped at hundreds and thousands of stop signs. And the judge says, well, good for you, $150. <laughs> and then I say, your honor, I, I don't know how much longer I have to live, but I'm going to make you a promise right now. I will stop at every stop sign I ever see for the rest of my life. And he says, well, good for you. You'll be back in here. $150. Now, that is a perfect illustration of what the scripture is trying to say. Good works don't pay for the bad works. 
Stopping at a stop sign doesn't pay for the stop sign you ran. Caprish? Is that a word? I mean, it's as simple as that. Good works will not do. Now, I need to show you some verses that say that. And this is what I want you to write down. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2, 8. Now, many of you know this passage. Uh, if you don't know this, take a blank page in the back of your Bible and write, not by works, and then after that, write Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you got to heaven by your works, here's what you would do. You would take your two thumbs, put them under your armpits and say, ha ha, what a good boy am I. And God says, we're not going to have any of that. Because heaven is to demonstrate God's grace. Look at verse 7. In the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Heaven is to demonstrate his grace, not your goodness. Now, look at the passage carefully. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you've got a pen and you don't mind marking in your Bible, take it out and in underscore in verse 9, not of works, and then underscore in verse 10, un, or for good works. Not of works for good works. Now get this straight. By the way, that summarizes everything the Bible has to say about good works. It makes the point over and over and over again that you don't get to heaven by good works. God saves you by his grace, letting Jesus die for your sin and being raised from the dead but then he saved you so you would do good works, not to get to heaven, but because you are going to heaven. It is for good works that he saved us. All right. I want you to turn to one more, and that's Titus chapter 3. I'll show you why I want you to know these two when we get there. Titus 3. Titus 3 5 says well begin at verse 4 but when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit 
Now, if you took that note in the back of your Bible on that blank page and you wrote, not of works, dash, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, under it write, not of righteousness, dash, Titus 3, 5. And in those two verses, we have not of works and not of living right. Those are the two things that come up and those are the two verses that answer it. And you need to know those two verses. So if you don't know them by memory, then write the references down on a blank page in the back of your Bible. Not of works, Ephesians 2.9. Not of righteous living, Titus 3.5. Now there are many other verses. Romans 4 says... If Abraham were justified by works, he would have whereof to glory, but not before God. And that's the problem. You do good things, great. You can legitimately boast about that. Just don't do it before God. Why? Because before God, he's the standard. So I'd be a little humble before the him if I were you. That just isn't going to cut it. Now, there are other verses. Romans 3.28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So righteous living won't do it. Now, that one is a little different because it says by the deeds of the law, which is the same thing in many minds as uh, living right. So if you had those three verses down, the other one's Romans 3.28. It's not by the law. All right. How are we doing? You got this? Is this helpful? All right. You're going to need this if you're talking to people. If you're not, you need to repent. Okay. I've said two things so far. Here's the, here's the standard. And the standard is God. Here's the situation. We've all fallen short. We fall short because we some think that it's by good work, some think it's by righteous living, some think it's by keeping the law, all that falls short, even if you did it well. So the third thing I want to say is, what's the solution? And this you know, but it needs to be reviewed. The solution is that God provides perfect righteousness. Now, let me review. What's the standard? God. Why? Because he is perfect, holy, righteous. First John says uh, he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness are used as symbols of sin. There is no speck of darkness in God. He's perfect. What's our situation? We fall short. We're not perfect. So what's the solution? God provides the forgiveness of sins and on top of that, righteousness. Are you aware? You get to heaven because God declares you righteous. What does it take to get to heaven? Perfect righteousness. That's all. So how do you get it? God gives it to you as a gift. Now, as you know, the Bible says 
God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his Son. Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15. So, over and over again, the scripture says, God sent his Son to die for our sins. By the way, Paul explains this in Romans chapter 3. It is marvelous to behold. In that one act, God satisfied his justice and also showed his mercy. You see, God did not wink at sin. God did not ignore the sin problem. He solved the sin problem by paying the debt of sin and in that one stroke demonstrated his matchless love. Incredible. During the Great Depression, a police officer hauled a frightened man before the magistrate of the New York Night Court. He was charged with petty theft. He was starving and stole a loaf of bread. By coincidence, that night, the mayor of the city, Mayor LaGuardia, was on the bench. He would periodically sit in the night court just so he could uh, stay close to the citizens of the city. So LaGuardia heard uh, the case, and he fined the man 10 dollars. Then he said, the law is the law and cannot be broken. So he paid. Then he took a $10 bill from his own wallet and told the man he would pay the fine for him. Mm. Now that's what God did. Yes. What is the penalty of sin? Yes. What did Christ do? There you go. Deal. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Mm -hmm. Then LaGuardia turned to the others in the courtroom and he cited each one of them for living at a city that did not reach out to help the poor and the elderly, tempting them to steal. He fined he find everyone in the court 50 cents and he passed around a hat to collect the fines. And he turned over the contents to the amazed defendant. Oh now that's what God does. Mm. Hear me. He not only pays the penalty and wipes out the debt, he blesses us besides. Yeah. Yes. Oh. The Bible talks about the fact that he justifies us. And the word justifies means declared righteous. Mm. Now. I told you, you've heard most of this before, and you've seen me do this before. In my opinion, I don't do this enough. I saw somebody do this years ago. In one hand is my white handkerchief, and the other is my black phone. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He who knew no sin, represented by this white handkerchief, became sin. I'm going to take the black phone and put it on top of the white handkerchief. 
Then the verse says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gets our sin and we get his righteousness. So the white handkerchief goes from one hand to the other. Where there was the black bone, now there is the white handkerchief. I am declared righteous in Christ. That's mind-boggling. I'm going to heaven. Not because I did something. Not because I'm righteous. Not because I did good works. Not because I'm in the ministry. Not because I got baptized. Not because I read the Bible. Not because I pray. And not because I give money. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died for my sin. Arose from the dead. I trusted him. And he gave me his righteousness. Excuse me if I get a little excited. That's what's going on. I get the righteousness of Christ. He declares me righteous. A little boy looking at his father through an orange balloon cried, Daddy, Daddy, you're an orange daddy. You're an orange daddy. The father smiled, removed the balloon, and said to the son, Now what do you see? And the boy replied, Ah, you're just an ordinary daddy. He quickly pressed his face flush against the balloon and excitingly declared, You're an orange daddy again. When the father inquired why he appeared orange, the little lad said, Because I'm looking at you through an orange balloon. Let me tell you something. God looks at his children through a white balloon and he sees us all as righteous in Christ. That is a mind-boggling truth. It's stated in Genesis 15.6 and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, I'm broke. I'm not only broke, I have a deficit in my account. And God puts to my account all that I need to pay the bill. So I'm a sinner and I fall short and God puts the very righteousness of Jesus Christ to my account. That is mind-boggling. But that's the answer to this question. Do I have to be good to get to heaven? No. As a matter of fact, as long as you think you're good, you don't qualify. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to call righteous people. I came to call sinners to repentance. If you sin, boy, are you in good shape. Mm -hmm. Now you qualify. So let's get our facts straight. Now what I'm saying is very simple. Good works will not get a person to heaven because the standard is God. And because man's goodness is not good enough. But God provides righteousness that's needed to get to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm telling you. As you know, I have uh, taught in a few places. And uh, 
I've had a student once say to me, do you grade on the curb? You know, I mean, the old standard is what, 70% and you fail? Or below 70% and you fail? Well, uh, some teachers grade on the curve. And so I've actually had somebody say to me once, if God grades on the curve, I'll make it. Well, I have some bad news for you. He doesn't grade on the curve. Because God does not ignore sin. Nor wink at it, as I said a minute ago. Sin must be eliminated, not minimized. He paid for it. So, one last simple little point. What do you have to do? And the answer is very clear. There is one book in the Bible written to tell people how to have eternal life. It's the Gospel of John. It's the only book that's written to tell you how to have eternal life. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's a quotation from the end of the book, John chapter 20. So what does it say? Believe. The word believe appears in that book 100 times. Not all of them are pertaining to eternal life. But over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God says the one thing you must do is believe. And believe has two components. It's believing something is true and it's trusting that. And those are two different things. As I've often said, I can believe the chair will hold me up, but it's not doing it until I sit. I trust it. I get in it. So, it's real simple. God wants to give you the gift of heaven, of eternal life, of righteousness in Christ. And all he asks you to do is trust his son. Quit trying to do it. Start trusting. If a criminal was handed a pardon by a governor, the issue was no longer his crime but what he will do with the pardon. If he refuses the pardon, he will remain in prison. If he stops to think about it and questions, why is he in, why is he in prison? Is it because he committed a crime? In that case, no, it's because he refused the pardon. So, trust Jesus Christ. And then you'll get out of prison. That's it. So let me say two things. Number one, if you've never done that, do it. And if you talk to people who think they're going to heaven, explain to them that the only way is that they stop trying to do it by works and show them what verse? You forgot already. Look in the back of your Bible real quick. The cheat sheet. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Titus 3, 5. And give them the glorious truth that heaven is a gift. Yes. Ephesians 2, 8 says that. Wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of eternal life and for the awesome privilege of telling others about your glorious, wonderful gift. Lord, give us those opportunities and give us the boldness to take them. In Jesus' name. Amen.